Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brand. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Today, we're talking about the top five and maybe more anti-aging strategies. Now, I'm not old, but I work with a lot of old people, and we do things that I've seen clinically, which have been game changers. And we have some people that are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that feel 20, 30 years younger than they did when they first started working with me. Number one, we're increasing acid and enzymes. We're improving mitochondria. We're removing toxins. We're treating infections that are damaging the system. So, I mean, there's a lot of good things you could do. I think a lot of people fear, and especially in America, a lot of people fear aging. And it's just really frowned upon. You know, you look at other countries and the elders are respected while in America, the elders are kind of like poo-pooed and just thrown into like a nursing home, which is just crap. And you've seen what's happened in the nursing homes. I won't go into much detail, but it's not pretty. So you don't want to be in a nursing home right now. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. And if you need help clinically, please reach out at my site, evanbrand.com. That has all the details in regards to scheduling. You could read my reviews. We've got almost 300 five-star reviews from clients, verified client reviews that you can check out. And then what is my go-to thing? I mean, kind of my daily thing that I'm doing to support myself. I mean, honestly, I think it's adrenal support, really. I've told you about my Vitality Tonic. I'm a big fan of also the one I have called Adaptogen Tonic. This is something I take at least one or two capsules a day of. This is a blend of organic eleuthero, ashwagandha, cordyceps, sejandra berry, American ginseng, rhodiola. Really, really happy with this blend. This is something that is broad spectrum, meaning it's not going to overstimulate you. We didn't put a ton of rhodiola in there, which would overstimulate some people, but this is enough to give you a bit of a boost. And adaptogens don't erase your stress. They don't delete it from your life, but they help you adapt to it. Oh, wow. Hence the name adaptogen. Makes sense. Seriously, though, if I don't take adaptogens, I just, I get frazzled easily compared to if I'm on the adaptogens, you know, the nervous system just doesn't self-regulate as much without the adaptogens. And obviously mold and other things affect the nervous system. So you can't just take the magic pill. You've still got to work on the deeper issues, but this is a great starting place for many, many people. So I encourage you to check out the adaptogen tonic. We'll put the link in the show notes on your podcast app there, but adaptogen tonic is something that I personally love. I take it every day, at least one or two caps a day, and I think you'll do great. And let me know, give me some feedback, report back. Let me know how it helped you. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast. And we are live. It's Dr. Jay here with Evan. Today, we're going to be chatting about the top five anti-aging techniques to age gracefully as possible. This is important. This is a good foundation. Even if you're not a health fanatic, I mean, you, you want to be able to keep the quality of life in your years as you get older. I mean, you want to be able to move, feel good, not be in pain, have energy, being able to cognitively process and think and perform into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like you were in your 20s and 30s and 40s. So we're gonna just give you some simple foundational principles, right? The Pareto principle, the 20% to give you the 80% of the results. And we're gonna dive into that here today. Evan, how are we doing today, man? Doing well. You know, it's funny, people will use the term health nut and it's, it's almost like a, like a bad thing. Pe- people will say health nut, like it's something that shouldn't be happening. It's like, well, what are you if you're not a health nut? Are you a health ignorer? You know, I'd much rather prefer to be a health nut than a health ignorer. I want to be 50, 60, 70. I look at some of my aging grandparents. I look at just aging people around me and I see the decline in people. And it's, 
I don't want to say I'm afraid of it, but I see it and I know that we have strategies to slow that down or possibly prevent it. You and I were talking about one of these studies. It's in PubMed on uh, it's in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine, all about the blue zones. And you see some of these lessons from the world's longest lived people. And I'm like, okay, well, what can we take? I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but what can we take from, from them and what are they doing to, to live to 90? And they have no chronic disease, mostly. And you look at even some of the tribal societies, you know, there's not high blood pressure. There's not depression. What are they doing that we're not doing? I think the first thing is that they don't have the level of inflammation that we have. And I know that was on your list of things we wanted to hit on. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of different concepts here we're going to kind of touch upon and highlight. And, you know, you talked about the whole health nut thing. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that aren't healthy and they're reminded about people in their life that are healthy. And it's easy to project your insecurity on someone else versus you take responsibility and accountability. Now, Obviously, we want to get people's health up to a level where if they aren't perfect on their diet, they're still going to be able to bounce back. They'll still be adaptive. They can have a glass of wine here or there. Maybe they can cheat a little bit with certain foods and not have major uh, setbacks. But in the end, we want to get people feeling great. And then you get to decide as the person, you know, how much, how good you want to feel. Some people, they come off it a little bit. They feel like crap for days and, and that little treat's not worth it. Some hey, they're not that bad and they're good in a couple hours, right? So everyone's got to feel how adaptive and responsive they are to not being 100% on and then that's your decision. And so my goal isn't to, to say you should be a health nut or you should be perfect or you should do 80-20, uh, 80% on, 20% off. My goal is to get you to feel as good as possible and then you get to make that decision of you know what that in-between looks like for you. Yeah, so how does inflammation factor into this? I mean, this is something people throw around. They throw around the term inflammation. I think really you got to kind of break it apart. Are you talking neuroinflammation from toxins? Are you talking like systemic inflammation that you're going to measure on blood work? Is this like bad oils, you know, junky seed oils creating inflammation? Is this bad foods or these infections like Lyme creating issues with the joints? And that's inflammation there. I mean, I think the word inflammation is kind of overused and abused. So maybe you could kind of tease apart what you mean when you're thinking of this as one of the strategies to address absolutely inflammation is a term that's overused but we're going to use it and be very specific right and so inflammation in general is there's a natural buildup and breakdown of the body inflammation when inflammation starts to go out of control usually there's an excessive breakdown to the body compared to the build up of the body all right and so in general you have certain hormones that help your body deal with inflammation and recover and build up and then you have the different breakdown of the body things like cortisol uh, adrenaline, cat different catecholamines, different, um, if your immune system is hyper responding, whether you have imbalances and in interleukins and cytokines and immune stimulation, and that could be due to food allergens, that can be due to mold toxins, heavy metals, it could be due to a poor diet, poor sleep, too much, too little exercise, all of these factors play in to this homeostatic balance of breakdown versus buildup. And so, of course, we start with the foundations. Of course, you know, we should make sure like, hey, we're not, you know, licking the lead paint in the wall or, you know, we're not in a moldy home or, hey, we're not getting pesticides on our food and we're trying to mitigate the animal products that we eat. So they're organic, they're clean, they don't have pesticides and hormones. That's all really good and foundational, right? And then, of course, we're looking at the imbalance of, of fatty acids because we know certain fats that are more on the omega-6, junky, processed side, vegetable oils that are processed and damaged are going to be really bad. And that starts to make up 
up a really junky cell membrane for us, which isn't good. And we know certain fats, good, healthy, grass-fed animal products are going to be excellent. We know things like grass-fed butter, maybe olive oil, avocados, maybe some nuts or seeds if we're okay there, maybe some high-quality fish. These are going to help put that omega-3 to omega-6 balance in place. And our omega-3 pathways, they feed into certain eucosinoids or prostaglandins that are really anti-inflammatory, where a lot more of the processed foods are going to feed into this omega-6 junky plant-based oils. And again, the reason why the plant-based oils on average tend to be more junky is because they're more processed. To turn them into an oil, the processing of that um, tends to damage the fats because the fats are already very delicate. So when you extract canola or soy or safflower, right, you're damaging these or cottonseed oil, right? You're damaging these fats to, to extract them into that final liquid byproduct. You know, maybe some of the exceptions could be like olive oil, if it's cold pressed and extra virgin, same thing with avocado, probably not as bad, but we wanna make sure our fats are really good and clean. So grass-fed butter, ghee, excellent, good healthy animal fats. Um, they're saturated, so these animal fats tend to be way more stable, right? And the stability is important because our fats, all of our cell membranes have this lipid bilayer in them. And so we are reconstituting that bilayer with the fats that we eat. So if we eat junky fats, one, we're going to deplete a lot of our antioxidant reserves because our body's going to have to use a lot of antioxidants, vitamin A, C, and E to stabilize those fats. And two, it's going to make our cell membranes very, um, let's say, lack of more uh, inflexible, not good communication, right? Not good, um, not, not good adaptation because we want a nice, healthy, fluid cell membrane. So good, healthy, stable fats, coconut oil, um, grass-fed butter. Maybe some olive oil is fine if it's really good quality and it's cold pressed and extra virgin. Maybe some avocados, maybe some nuts and seeds there if you're consuming good omega-3 side by side from you know wild Alaskan sockeye, high quality fish that have a good selenium to mercury ratio. That's gonna be ideal out of the gates. And so that's one of the best things you can do outside of just avoiding pesticides and inflammatory food allergens like gluten, processed refined sugar, processed grains. That's going to be a really good starting point out of the gates. Yeah, well said. And you hit on a few other points that we wanted to get into, which is nutrient density. Everything you've mentioned with these good fats and good meats and all of that are going to be super nutrient dense. And then insulin is a big one too, right? I mean, look at people with diabetes. I don't have the paper right in front of me, but the life expectancy is certainly less than someone without diabetes. And so insulin is a big problem. I'm going to look at it right now and give you a number. Insulin plays a major role because if we have insulin resistance where we're making more insulin to get our cells to open up to bring glucose and fuel to the cell, that can cause problems because our insulin resistance causes our body to need more insulin to knock on that door. Instead of knocking on the door once, we have to knock on it two, three, four times. And insulin does a couple of things. It can increase blood pressure. That makes our heart having to beat at a higher rate, has to harder and stronger to get blood pumping. So more stress in the heart. It's going to decrease blood flow. And so to areas in the feet, to the genitals, to the extremities, to the brain, you may have decrease in blood flow, which may cause an impairment of getting nutrition and oxygenation there. Um, obviously, it can create oxidative stress on all of our little proteins, uh, all of our little um vasculature in the body because the more you sugarcoat proteins in the body, whether it's our eye vessels, whether it's fingers, toes, that creates oxidative stress because of glycation, right? So think of the creme brulee at the steakhouse. They take the blowport, the blowtorch over it, right? And it starts to brown on top. That's that's glycation, right? That sugar coating is, is oxidizing from that flame. That happens in our body. And that can decrease blood flow. It decreases, um, you know, fluid fluidity and flexibility. There's more inflammation. You start to have problems with the eyes, uh, libido, 
uh, being able to perform well because you don't have good oxygenation. And then, of course, um, you're depleting a lot of your antioxidant reserves because now there's so much oxidative stress from this glycation that's happening, right? Your body has to use a lot of antioxidants from the food to stabilize all these cells because of all the free radical stress that's happening. Yeah, it depends on which paper. There were like three different ones I was looking at. One was talking about five-year reduction in life expectancy with diabetes. Another was talking eight years. Another was talking 10. So I guess it depends. And, of course, type 1 and type 2 are different. But in general... I mean, we know that this is a, it's a comorbidity with a lot of issues we're seeing now too. So this is not, if you can avoid it, obviously type one, some would argue is out of your control, but type two, you certainly have control over that and you can prevent that and reverse it. Yeah. Type one's still in your control. I mean, I guess the, the, the part of that that's the hardest is most people that are affected by that are kids. Yeah. And usually between five and 15, there's an autoimmune condition that sets in and starts to destroy the beta cells of the pancreas. And there's a strong correlation with dairy and grains and refined sugar. So every parent out there listening, especially if you have autoimmune in your family history, you really got to have your kids be healthy out of the gates. And so that's, you know, important out of the gates. Also cognitive wise, right? People are worried about Alzheimer's and dementia. There's a strong mechanism with dementia in the placking in the brain being driven by insulin resistance. They're calling, and it's been called for over a decade, Alzheimer's is going to be essentially referred to as type 3 diabetes. And so your brain becomes resistant to the glucose as a fuel source in the brain. And there's a lot of plaquing that forms in the brain due to the fact that um, insulin, the insulin-degrading enzyme that helps clean up plaque in the brain, it can clean up plaque or it can go and soak up insulin. And when you're over-secreting insulin, that enzyme is more prone and focused on cleaning up insulin and less prone to work on the plaque. So that placking and inflammation can go up because that enzyme is, is too focused over here cleaning up the insulin. So the goal is that we use diet and lifestyle strategies and um, exercise strategies to lower the insulin. And then that's insulin degrading enzyme has more allocation to go after and clean up the plaque in the brain. And then of course, we know if we're burning more fat for fuel, that those ketones, one, they're not going to require insulin, and two, our brain and our neurological system can use the ketones for a fuel source as well. So then we're not only relying on one fuel source for the brain, we're also relying on ketones. A lot of data on that out of Harvard by this uh, doctor named Dr. Veach looking at ketones and fuel for the brain. So that's a really important thing. If you're into and focused on Alzheimer's and dementia prevention, you have to be hyper-focused on utilizing ketones for fuel. You have to be hyper-focused on keeping insulin low because it's very hard to, one, utilize insulin for fuel, sorry, very hard to utilize ketones for fuel if your insulin levels are high. High levels of insulin prevent your body from burning fat. Ketones, a fat byproduct, right? Free fatty acid, glycerol, ketone metabolites, you, you break that down. You need nice low insulin levels to break that down, and then you can start burning it. What about people like eating a donut, and then they go take exogenous ketones? That may be palliative from a like cognitive kind of like boost standpoint. Like I'm going to study for something for an hour or two or read this book and really be into it, but that's not fixing the underlying issue. You need to shift your hormones so you can be in a overall fat burning state. So you need to increase things like hormone sensitive lipase and you need to decrease insulin. Those, those are on opposite seesaws. So to get hormone sensitive lipase, these are fat digesting fat breaking down enzymes to increase those you have to drop insulin low to do that yeah and again when you drop insulin low it's not just about restricting carbohydrates this is like kind of where the you know the carbohydrate thesis kind of goes out the window is you can still increase insulin and blood sugar by eating inflammatory foods 
So if you're getting exposed to mold, for instance, that could still increase cortisol and, and get your blood sugar higher without actually consuming glucose or carbohydrate-rich food. So you could have mold coming in. You could have heavy metals coming in. You could just be eating like soy protein or artificial sweeteners that may not necessarily impact your blood sugar directly, but they could be having a hormonal influence pushing that blood sugar out of balance. Of course, the hormones in the food, right? The pesticides in food, all these things can play a role. So it's not just the macros, it's the macros, but also the quality of those macros. And again, you know, keep it simple, right? Old foods don't cause new disease. If you're consuming grass-fed butter and you have a serious dairy issue, that could be a problem too. So you gotta look at the whole picture, food quality, micro macronutrients and and the toxins that could be in those food and the food allergy component. Yeah, well, well said. It shouldn't be that revolutionary, but what you're saying is revolutionary because you still have very very influential like bodybuilders that are in that mainstream mindset still. Well, they'll post a picture of a cheat meal and it's literally like, "Hey, I'm going to go eat a dozen donuts." And then they're promoting like this exogenous ketone supplement. It just drives me nuts to see that. You're going to save so much more money by the way, too. You know, ketones are something that you and I do have and I have sold professional ketones to clients to help them. But man, it's so much easier and essentially free to make your own ketones. Yeah. And if you want to do it with these healthy diet and lifestyle strategies, that's fine. Also, you you have people that have these so-called cheat days, a lot of books having these cheat days. Is a cheat day worth it if it takes you four days to recover? What about the immune response? I mean, some would argue the immune response of antibodies for your thyroid could be months. So yeah. And then there's that. I have Hashimoto's, right? I keep my antibodies virtually non-existent by doing healthy things. You know, there's some data, if you look at it, that your antibodies can be up for months. And so you have to acknowledge that as well. And so, yeah, you gotta know where you're at. So don't listen to these people that say, you know, don't cheat, you know, that you cheat, live life, this and that. Well, it depends where you're at and how how negatively impact I'm gonna be for months later. And, and honestly, there's a lot of healthy cheats out there, right? There's a lot of healthy grain-free, gluten-free cheat options. So if you really wanna cheat, it's not an all or nothing thing. There, there's some in-between mitigation um, tools that you can utilize by, choosing healthier options, and also by um, utilizing more enzymes, activated charcoal, glutathione, extra things that are very helpful. Totally. I know we want to get into sleep. That's one of the next on the list, but just want to mention something we were looking at here earlier, which was hyperbaric oxygen. And this is pretty cool. There was clinical trials done on hyperbaric oxygen and how it was actually reversing two of the biological processes associated with aging in human cells. That was the title of it. And long story short, they found that it was very, very protective, neuroprotective. You can really, really support the brain. We've seen massive um, reversal of traumatic brain injury. And you've seen a lot of that in the NFL, for example, people doing hyperbaric oxygen to reverse brain injury. So I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but I just think it's a cool strategy that you could and should look into if you are having some cognitive decline, maybe for a long time you've had high insulin and maybe your brain has suffered. Maybe you're considering the possibility of early dementia or Alzheimer's type symptoms, you know, hyperbaric is something that's been shown to really, really help blunt the effects of the damage to the brain. I've done hyperbaric. It was amazing for me. Even just my first session, my toes got so warm and I've had poor blood flow issues as long as I could remember as a kid, maybe mold or infections drove my uh, hypercoagulability. They call it more of a thickening blood. So I do enzymes to help, but man, I tell you the hyperbaric whoa, it warmed me up so much. So this is a really, really cool tool. If I was an NFL athlete, I would be uh, sleeping in one of these at least half the week. <laughs> I, I imagine probably some of the better ones are. Totally. It's because the, the inflammation, the generation that's happening, you know, you really have to work on the repair side of that equation for sure. Yeah. 
That's a good tool. It's a good palliative tool for sure. All right, you want to hit on sleep. Let's do it. So sleep's important, right? Um, We are going to make specific neuropeptides that help repair brain, cognitive, body, right? Growth hormone, physical structure. So of course, you know, getting to bed matters. Getting to bed before midnight matters. You know, sleeping seven to eight hours matters. That's going to help with repair. Getting to bed before midnight really taps into that growth hormone that peaks between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., which helps repair your body. A lot of neurogenic repair as you start to help your neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, repair, regenerate, help your body deal with stress, think, uh, help a lot of the inflammation in the brain repair and recover overnight. And so sleep is really important. Again, inflammation affects sleep, blood sugar affects sleep, and adequate levels of magnesium and amino acids that become the building blocks of melatonin play a big role with sleep. So if we're not getting enough good proteins, that's a problem. If we're not digesting those proteins, that's a problem. Infections can affect that. Not enough HCL, not enough enzymes. Just a poor diet can cause that. Too much carbs create blood sugar swings, and that can cause increases in cortisol. And cortisol and melatonin are on an opposite um, rhythm. So as cortisol goes up, melatonin goes down. So if you're doing things that affect your cortisol, you may have low melatonin. Low melatonin will be harder to get into those deeper phases of sleep where a lot of repair and regeneration happen. Yeah, my first book was on sleep. It was called Rim Rehab. I still sell it, although I don't promote it much. And it was all because I suffered significantly from sleep issues after coming off third shift to pay for college. It was oh, just, totally. Oh man, my sleep was a wreck. I mean, I would work from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. I would sleep all day. My circadian rhythm was wrecked, and in the process, my gut was wrecked too. So I kind of covered the impact of the cortisol and the melatonin rhythm, if that's screwed up, your gut can be screwed up too. There's a circadian rhythm to detoxification. There's a circadian rhythm to gut motility. And all that was messed up when you're working night shift or when you're working swing shift. There's nurses, several studies on night shift nurses having a massive increase in breast cancer. I interviewed a guy, Dr. Richard Hansler. Hopefully he's still alive. He'll literally be pushing 100 Uh, By now, when I interviewed him years ago, he was one of my early podcast guests, like 2012. He was like 93. So yeah, he's probably 100. I haven't seen any death reports. Hopefully he's still alive. But man, this guy blew my mind on sleep. You know, he developed brighter and more blue light bulbs for GE for decades. And he has a tremendous amount of guilt because of what he did, which was creating brighter, more blue light bulbs. And so now he's really educating people on sleep and sleep during pregnancy has actually been shown to reduce the risk of issues in the offspring. So for pregnant women listening, you really got to prioritize this and make sure you're candling down at night. We use salt lamps. We use night lights. We just have a bedtime routine of we try to just not do anything too intense mentally. Like I'm not going to open up a spreadsheet at 9 p.m. I'm just not going to. I'm going to try to focus on things. I'm going to do either a, a guided meditation with headphones or I'm going to do some jazz music or classical music or something. You've got to have some sort of, I would just say, downshift. And that was actually one of the things in that Blue Zone study is one of the, they call it the power nine. These are these nine evidence-based denominators that the 100-year-olds believe to slow the aging process. One of those was downshifting. And they always talk about how this culture does this and that culture does that. But anyway, it was either prayer, it was napping, it was meditation. It was some sort of downshift. And I think in American society, that's not really welcomed. It's not welcome to downshift because it's hustle, 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 work, work, work. You're not working hard enough. That's why you're not successful. But I think part of success comes from that downshift and prioritizing sleep. Even Jeff Bezos says, no matter what he does, whether you like the guy or not, 
whatever he says, eight hours of sleep is a priority for him. No matter what part of the world he's in, he's prioritizing those eight hours because it impacts your decision making and all of that. So, I mean, this thing, sleep is like that spider web that goes into every aspect of your life, your mood, your emotional regulation, decision making, all of it. Yeah, and I've made a really big priority the last two months to really get to bed by 10, 10, 30 every night. So I'm getting to bed by 10, 10, 30, 11 at the latest, and I'm sleeping minimum eight hours a night. Makes a big difference, especially getting to bed before 12 really does help. And so you know, different nutritional strategies that I'll plug in to help, I'll do some GABA, some L-theanine, I'll do some magnesium, and again, high levels of blood sugar, right? One of the biggest impacts when they, there's studies on um, taking college kids and making them pre-diabetic by... Well, one, that what they did is they actually restricted their sleep. And the first side effect they saw restricting these college kids' sleep after a couple of weeks was they started turning pre-diabetic. Their blood oh sugar levels started getting off. So it's kind of like we talk about blood sugar, right? You don't just have to have poor diet to have blood sugar issues. You can have aberrant stress hormones because of poor sleep, right? And so it's like when you have one problem, that one can turn to two, two can turn to three. It's kind of like the old Gremlins movie when you put water on them, they multiply. It's kind of like that. So like a lot of these issues, when you start to have one, you're going to have two. When you start to have two, you're going to have three because things spiral out of control. And then also when you start having blood sugar issues and poor sleep, guess what starts to happen to your cravings? Well, you start craving more refined processed food and then that starts to create more issues with blood sugar, which then makes more issues with sleep. You see how all these things kind of, they just like, they spiral out of control, man. It's like water on the gremlin. So yeah, you got to keep an eye on that. Really prioritize sleep. Understand how everything connects. If you understand how it connects, I think it gives you a lot more motivation to have those foundationals like really solidified. Oh, yeah. Well, the mood issues too, right? I mean, I talked about like anxiety, depression, a lot of these issues with mental health. A lot of those are related to poor sleep. I mean, I I try to survey as many uh, young teenagers as I can who are clients of mine, and almost every single one of them is sleeping with their iPhone either next to them in their bed or literally under their pillow, not on airplane mode. These kids are sleeping with these iPhones and they're waking up in the middle of the night, 2, 3 a.m. and they're just scrolling on Instagram, blasting themselves a blue light, which we know is not good. They're getting hit with the radiation every two seconds from the cell phone connecting to the cell tower. So, I mean, I think you really, really have to prioritize this because let's say now you're anxious, you're depressed, and like you mentioned, you're fatigued. So maybe you go for like caffeine with sugar, now you screw up your blood sugar even more. You're on the cortisol roller coaster. I think sleep is one of those things where you make it or break it. Like this is a really, really one of the most important pillars of life. And I had a client the other day uh, say that you and I need to talk about our kids more. They were like, you and Justin, like you're one of the few guys out there, functional medicine guys that have kids. Because you got all these other people that are like doing podcasts and stuff, but they don't have kids. So they don't have to do what we're doing, like working full time plus managing two young children. They were saying it's an incredible feat and we need to like brag about it, I guess, but they also want us to just share more. And I think for you, I'm glad that you're getting to bed earlier because when you got two kids, you kind of have to because the kids are up so early in the morning that if you're not getting that 10, 1030 bedtime, you're going to be sabotaged because 7, 7 a.m. comes around. Those kids are going to be up. Daddy, daddy, where's breakfast? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're blessed. Um, you know, I think b- both of us are blessed in that way that we're able to do well enough where our wives can stay at home full time. And um, my wife already had a very long career and is essentially retired already. So she's already been there, done that at a, at a C-level, you know, executive level. And it's like, all right, you know, she's ready for the, the mom life. But man, if if there wasn't someone to be there at home full time, it'd be a lot harder just because there's a lot of stuff always going on and it helps to have someone there. Not everyone's in that position. So if you can set yourself up 
from a family life to be in that position, that's great. If you can't, you know, we just got to do play the best hand that we have, right? Um, but at least, you know, uh, things that have helped us over the years when we have been more busier is if you can go find pre-made meal service, that's great. Or if you can kind of cook some of your meals more in bulk, or you can get really good at doing an instant pot meal where you have the food just thrown in there and, and you cooked in 30 minutes while everyone's getting ready or showering or bathing at night. And then you have a nice meal while everyone's getting cleaned up. You have that meal cooking, right? So just try to find strategies that are, I call them net time, right? There's no extra time to do it because you're already doing something else you have to do anyway. So you just got to try to plug those things into your schedule if these habits are really tough to kind of utilize and just get a habit going on these things. So like we have habitual things dialed in where we're doing magnesium and GABA or theanine before bed if we need it. Or we're, you know, we already have the habit of having the low blue light night bulbs in everyone's room that needs a nightlight. You know, my kids are a little bit younger, so they need that a little bit. If we do too dark, they actually wake up in the middle of the night. So we do the low blue light night bulbs. That's helpful. And then having the good air filtration and keeping everything clean, keeping the, the temperature really good for optimal deep sleep right around 69, 70 degrees. So doing all those little strategies can help. And obviously the diet stuff too. Yeah, detox too. I mean, I've talked about it before, I think on previous podcasts with you or maybe another interview, but you know, binders are really helpful. So my wife takes charcoal before bed and she sleeps better. If she doesn't take it, her sleep is not as restful. So if you do have some sort of a toxin issue, we know that toxins affect hormones and that affects your sleep quality. So Mycotoxins are a big one, and insomnia is way up on the list of mold exposure symptoms. So if you find that you're sleeping better in certain environments than other, it could be other factors, but you know, try it. If you're trying some of the sleep support, you're mentioning the GABA, the theanine, magnesium 3 and 8, those kind of things, and you're not getting the relief, you may want to add in something like motherwort, which may calm the nervous system, maybe some passion flower, or you can come in from the detox perspective. Try a little bit of binder before bed, see if that improves your sleep too. And then if you need help, obviously reach out to us because there's a lot of functional issues we can see on paper that are going to help us to understand what's going on with your sleep. You can try all these, uh, as you would call it, palliative natural palliative care like these herbs and botanicals but what's what's leading you to need that like you shouldn't necessarily need GABA extra GABA supplementally to sleep you should be able to do that on your own so what's impairing that is my question I'm always asking why 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 and if you're stubborn and you ask why enough and you use labs most of the time you can get to the bottom of it. 100% yeah 100% so if we look at everything right we talked about nutrient density we talked about inflammation we talked about blood sugar um, we talked about sleep. It, obviously, there are some palliatives that kind of plug into some of these things, right? And things that help with the inflammation are going to be things like the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, right? I'd also say we could plug in different fasting techniques to the inflammation as well. And again, fasting can be really helpful just to increase cellular autophagy, help clean up proteins in the body, right? Cellular autophagy is just different cleaning different things up in the body with, um, our, you know, with um, our immune system which starts to gobble up proteins, gobble up inflammation. Obviously, if you're um, inflamed because of foods, not eating can actually help reduce inflammation. How about that? But it's not magic because you're also, you, you, gotta, you gotta have a routine when you're getting good anti-inflammatory nutrient-dense foods in there. And then of course, there's more long-term strategies like intermittent fasting where you're just restricting your feeding window. And the goal of that really comes down to some of these cellular autophagy mechanisms of cleaning up proteins. Also mTOR, decreasing mTOR can help with anti-aging. That's a million target of rapamycin. Kind of plugs into that whole intermittent fasting insulin thing. And then on top of that, I would say um, movement. intermittent fasting. We want yeah, well, intermittent, just to kind of highlight, intermittent fasting is just restricting the feeding window. So the goal is that you're still getting the nutrients you need, but you're just maybe compressing that window between 
12 and 6 or 12 and 8, right, versus eating all day. Uh, ideally, eating enough food so you can last five hours to the next meal. That's great too. So we're not, we don't want to be grazing. Even if it's healthy food, we don't want to be grazing all day because you're just stimulating insulin every time you eat. So eat a little bit in the morning. Go four or five hours. Don't eat again. Get enough protein and fat at each meal. Go four or five hours. So even during the day, just get, get you know, the snack mindset out. Eat enough so you're good. Man, I tell you, I, I, I haven't talked to, too much about this because I almost forget to celebrate it. But I mean, there was a time where I was eating like every two to three hours, especially when I was doing bodybuilding, you know, 10 years ago, I was eating two to three meals, stuffing myself full of food as much as I can just to bulk up. And, and then that kind of, I, I don't want to say wreck my metabolism. I was never obese. I was always lean, but I would say it wrecked my metabolism in, in that I was constantly grazing, as you mentioned, this snack mindset. And now it's so... Uh, it just feels so good to be able to eat. Like if I'll do a grass-fed steak for breakfast, just to have that and not need anything for five hours. Now, if it's a heavy day with clients and there's a lot of stress involved, maybe four hours instead of five or six on the eating. But man, I tell you, just imagine how much more productive the world would be if people got off that blood sugar snacking grazing roller coaster. I mean, it just occupies so much of your time. Like I'm hungry, I'm gonna go for this. And instead of a candy bar, now people go for like a protein bar, hopefully, or maybe pistachios or something. But wow, just think of how much time is spent on that. Oh, I'm hungry, I gotta feed the beast again every two hours. 100%, and so movement's important, don't get me wrong. You know, try to at least do a Tabata or a simple circuit. I'm gonna go and use my Concept D rower in a minute, I'm gonna do 20 seconds on, 20 seconds off, 10 second cool down in between for about eight minutes. I'm gonna do about eight to 10 sets of that and then throw it. What do you put it on? I'm, I'm glad you finally got your rower. What do you, do you have the one, it's got the the little like triangle, like one to yeah, 10. Yeah, I think right? I have it on between it on? seven and eight. Okay. So yeah, I like a little yeah, I like too. I like a little more resistance so I can go. I mean, I like rowers just because one, you're getting the lower body in, you're using you know that the hamstring muscles to kind of curl and bring yourself bring the seat back down. And then I like the fact that you're bringing your body more into extension like this, where you know, we're just naturally typing all day. So I wanna really get into extension, really work on my posture there and be able to go hard where if you're like, you know, elliptical or if you're, you're biking, you're kind of like in this flex position. I wanna be really extended. I saw a little bit of footage of the Olympics and I tell you between the sprinters and the rowers, those are like the most muscularly perfect specimens. Like. The rowers, I mean, great physique. Sprinters, great physique. I mean, it's just, those are very like, I love those exercises. Sprinting's great. I mean, you just, you know, if you do it, you want to have a feel where you can go run on and have, not have that impact. You know, you can go to a track and all that, but, you know, it's a little bit more impact on your joints. And so as you get older, I think it's fine as you get older, but the nice thing about rowing is I just don't have that impact every day. So one, I still get that cardio. I still get that really high, intense, you know, burst of energy but I'm not quite having all that impact. So as I get older, I just want less impact on my joints. I want to really be able to have good joints as I get older. Yeah. So I think sprinting's great. You know, try to have surfaces that are going to be a little bit softer, or if you can do other things that have less impact but still get the same result, I think that's better in the long run, especially if you want to do it daily. Yeah, you know those uh, like playgrounds that have those like r like foamy type things? I wish the world was made of those. You've been on those things? I know. A little bounce to them? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you can always go to a football field or something like that too, but it's just easier like, there's my rower, it's in the corner. I just go jump on it, take six minutes, done, right? Easy peasy, so it's, it's nice to have those kind of things. 
And so for anyone listening, you know, you can get a rower like that. That's something really easy. You can do a Tabata or some type of peak eight interval thing. That's the easiest thing out of the gates because that's five to 10 minutes a day max. And so then do that. And then if you want to pick, I recommend, you know, pick three or four movements a day, you know, whether it's a push or pull or a twist or a bend, and then just do two or three sets of that. And so an easy thing to have in your office, have a kettlebell in your office, have some push-up bars. Those are easy things with kettlebells. It's so easy. Yeah. It's so easy not to exercise in the modern world. Like if you think about how easy it is to just go out of your house, two steps into your car, take it to the office. Maybe if you have to go high, you get on the elevator, sit at the desk, go back in the car, go back home. Or even like, man, I tell you sometimes like, which I haven't done much of, but just going on like cross country tours where if you go in the go in the car to the airport, you get on the plane, you get to the new city. It's like, wow, I've traveled thousands of miles without, without even lifting a finger. Like this is crazy. Yep. Versus when you look at like some of these blue zone, uh, longevity centenarian type people, it, it says here, quote, move naturally, the world's longest lived people don't pump iron, run marathons or join gyms. Instead, they live environments that constantly nudge them into moving without thinking about it. So yeah. it's just built into their lifestyle. And that's how it's always been for all of human evolution. Yeah, easiest thing out of the gates is get a nice little Fitbit, you know, try to get 10,000 steps on it and try to do something explosive for five or 10 minutes a day. That's it. I mean, if you can do that, great. If you can do 20 or 30, even better. But I think that the more important thing is just being able to keep up with it. So like set the bar super low. So it's like, oh, I can do that, you know? And then once you do it, then step up from there. But just try to have something simple, have a couple of tools, at your disposal so you can do it. We're moving here. I mean, people might not tell, but I mean, you're standing, I'm standing. I do sit sometimes during the day. I don't stand for eight hours. I do sit. I think it's good to do a combination of the two. You know, you can do a third, a third, a third. So I'll stand, I'll walk, I'll bike, and I'll sit during the day, all throughout the day. I'll try to move. I mean, even sometimes I'll put my desk on the lower setting. If I'm on a call, I'll put the desk on the lowest setting to where I can even go onto a knee and just stretch and I can just stretch out even on a knee like that yeah. and then I'll be able to sit stand. So I think it's important. I mean, I'm not saying that a desk is an optimal job no matter if you're standing or not. You're still looking at a screen. It's still unnatural, but I think there's ways that you can mitigate it and I do try to balance out screen time versus looking into the distance. I mean, there's a lot of studies on like yep. the uh, myopia that's taken over like I I think it's something crazy like 90 95% of children in China uh, have the nearsightedness now, they, they really can't see far distances, the myopia, they're all looking at screens, which there's an advantage to that, to looking at screens, but man, you you got to look, look far. far. So I try to yeah, look far. Look there's, far and then yeah. invest in low flicker, low blue light screens. Spend a little bit more money on your screen if you're going to be on it all day and get low flicker and low blue light. Yeah, and I run Iris all yeah, day. Iris I've got or, it on like... Or on your phone, night I've shift. I've got it on like 2800, like 2800 Kelvin. You can go much lower, yep. but blue light during the day is okay. Yeah, that, that's natural anyway, but, um, you know, for me, it's like I'm under, a, you know, full-spectrum lighting right now to do this podcast, you know, so there's a lot of lights that are naturally there. So, yeah, those are good. You know, have a good setup. If you're going to be around technology during the day, do your best to mitigate it. Um, during the end of the day, throw on some blue-blocking sunglasses, which is great, or, you know, make sure your prescription has some blue-blocking in there. That can be helpful, too. That can be great. So just kind of recapping, I think we talked about nutrient density, inflammation, good fats helping that, um, movement, exercise, how to make it part of your routine. Um, we talked about palliative techniques to decrease the inflammation like um, hyperbaric. Talked about intermittent fasting, that kind of plugs into the inflammation. I think we hit, it's about five big techniques or some overlapping principles that go under different ones. And of course, sleep. Sleep plays a really important role in some of the nutrients to help work on supporting sleep. And then of course, a lot of the nutrients that help with sleep 
if you have gut issues, obviously, you know, low enzyme, low acid, infection, SIBO, parasites that are affecting absorption of things, that, that can also be a big player. So I hope that resonates with everyone. If it does and, 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 and you want to dive in deeper, we're here to help serve you. And you can head over to evanbrand.com to work with Evan. You can head over to justinhealth.com to work with myself, Dr. J. We are available worldwide for you guys via FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, or just regular phone chat. And we recommend programs, do labs, have specific therapeutic protocols that are in our wheelhouse to kind of support and help with healing. And I uh, hope that makes sense. And if you guys enjoy the content, give us a thumbs up. Put your comments below. Make sure you share with family or friends that can benefit. We try to be kind of 99% just solid information because our true mission is really to help as many people as possible. We may see a fraction of 1% of people listening to this, but if you want to take that step and be part of that 1%, we're here to help you. Absolutely. Yeah, well, well said. And thanks for mentioning the links. And then uh, we could always do part two. I mean, there's a social aspect to this too. I mean, uh, social isolation, loneliness, it's the new smoking, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other part two, part threes on this, but I think this is a good summary for people to dive in. So like Justin said, if you need help, reach out justinhealth.com or evanbrain.com. We're here for you and we'll be in touch next week. Awesome. Have a good one, guys. Take care now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, if you need help clinically, please reach out. My site, evanbrain.com, has all the details. You can book a 15-minute free call. So if you've got some symptoms or questions or concerns, at no charge, you can book a call. You do put your credit card on file. That's just for accountability purposes. When we didn't have that, we'd have a ton of people that would just not answer their phone when we call. So just to respect my staff, we do put the credit card on there, but you're not being charged, okay? That's just holding the appointment. And then Megan will give you a call and chat with you. So if you have symptoms, questions, concerns, book the 15-minute free call at the site, evanbrain.com slash free. That'll take you actually directly to her calendar, and you can put yourself on there. And you can list your top three concerns or questions as well. In the beginning, I mentioned the adaptogen tonic. I think it's a great support for you. So if you're just feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling frazzled, you feel like you need some extra help, check out the adaptogen tonic. I think you'll love it. Report back. And if you need further help, let me know. We'll be here. Take good care. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.